Hi, listeners. Today's guest is James Clear talking about creating systems versus setting goals. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Let's talk about habits now, because I think that's the, that's the thing that, as you said, basically shapes the nature of what we're going to do. Um, there's, there's a saying that many people have said, and I, I won't even try to paraphrase it because at the moment it's escaping me, but the gist of it is like, you, you, you don't rise to the level of your, what is it? You don't rise to the level of your training. You fall to the level, or you you fall to the level of your training, and what, what right. It? The original the original quote I think is from Archilochus, um, I believe a Greek philosopher, and said, "You don't rise to the level of your expectations. You fall to the level of your training." Yeah. And in Atomic Habits, I uh, tweaked that or adjusted that to say, "You don't rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems." And so it's actually your habits that kind of create that baseline. So why is it called Atomic Habits? I think, I remember when I first saw the title, my assumption was Atomic must be huge explosion, like big habits, which of course is exactly yeah. not what it means. So, so. Uh. <laughs> well, it's, it's good actually. To, it's interesting which meanings people pull out when they see it. Cause so I chose the phrase Atomic Habits for three reasons. Um, the first meaning of the word atomic is tiny or small, like an atom. And I do think habits should be small and fairly easy to do especially in the beginning. The second meaning of the word atomic is the fundamental unit in a larger system. And that's the one that people often overlook, you know, like atoms build into molecules, molecules build into compounds and so on. And your habits are kind of like that. Each little habit is like a, you know, a little atom in the overall routine of your day. You put them all together and you end up with your lifestyle or your daily routine. And then the third and final meaning is the one that you mentioned, you know, the source of immense energy or power. And I think if you put all three meanings together, you sort of understand the narrative arc of the book, which is make changes that are small and easy to do, layer them on top of each other, like units in a larger system or atoms in a molecule. And collectively, you can get some really powerful or remarkable results. And so I feel like the phrase atomic habits not only encapsulates that kind of small uh, change in the system that you're looking to build, but also the powerful results that can emanate from that. So you talk about three different types of change, right? There's sort of the outcome change, the process change. We've touched on a little bit of those, but the one we haven't really touched on is this identity change. And that's that was something that when I read your book really resonated because it provided, I think, a very decent explanation, at least for why exercise comes naturally to me, which is it's Ooh. so hardwired into my identity and why maybe certain other habits I've tried to create over time don't come easily to me because I haven't fully identified with them yet. So explain a little bit what, you know, first of all, what, you know, expand on that, but, but also how you kind of came to realize that. Yeah. So, uh, two things before I unpack the idea a little more fully. First is, uh, of all the ideas in the book, this is probably the 
um, least scientific. Uh, there are actually some studies, which I cite in that chapter, and it's not like there's no science behind it. But the majority of the book, I try to be very uh, robust in the you know way that I was thinking about, like how do we build habits and what actually gets in the stick. And there also are just a bazillion you know social psychology and cognitive psychology studies that you know illustrate a lot of the examples that I talk about. Um, but this is uh, more of a mindset, I would say, or a philosophy on how behavior change works. Uh, second thing is it's um, maybe the only unique idea that I have. <laughs> um, pretty much everything else that I share is, you know, stuff that's been widely covered by other people or, uh, you know, things that we've known for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Um, but I felt like this was something that, you know, maybe I could contribute to the conversation. And part of the reason I started thinking about it is I started asking, like, why do habits really matter? Um, you know, why, why do we, we seem to care about them a lot as a society. It's something a lot of books get written about, something we talk about a lot. There's clearly some kind of deeper um, importance to them. So what is it? And the surface level answer is that we care about habits because they uh, get us these external things. They make us more productive and more fit and so on. And habits can help you do all of that stuff, which is great. But I think the real reason, the deeper reason that habits matter is that they are a signal internally to ourselves about who we are and what we care about. And, you know, they're kind of a signal of like the story that we're telling ourselves. So in a sense, every time that you perform a habit, you are embodying a particular identity. Like when you make your bed, you embody the identity of someone who's clean and organized. When you um, shoot a basketball for 30 minutes, you embody the identity of someone who is a basketball player. And, you know, you do those things once or twice. It doesn't radically transform the story you have about yourself. But if you keep showing up and shooting a basketball every day for six months or two years, or, you know, at some point you cross this sort of invisible threshold where you're like, yeah, being a basketball player is like part of who I am. You know, it's some aspect of my identity. And so your habits provide evidence. They provide proof of the story that you're telling yourself. And that I think is a very powerful thing, a very deep um, personal thing that habits can provide and perhaps the real reason why they matter. So to come back to your question about process versus outcome versus identity and kind of where how we change, usually when people set out to make some kind of change, they start by thinking about the results or the outcome that they want. So they say, I wanna lose 40 pounds in the next six months. And then from that outcome, they back into a process or a plan. So they say, all right, if I want to lose 40 pounds, then I need to follow this nutrition plan. I'm going to need to work out four days a week. And maybe there are details to those plans and everything, but that's usually kind of roughly where it stops. And then the assumption is if I do those things and I lose that weight, then I'll be the kind of person that I want to be. And the argument that I try to unpack in that chapter is what if we worked backwards from this? What if instead we said, who is the type of person I wish to be? What is the identity that I'd like to have? And in fact, we could even ask like, um, the person who has that identity, what kind of habits would they have? And then we use that identity to inform the process, the habits, and we let the outcomes come naturally. And um, there are a variety of examples of this. I, one reader of mine, she lost a bunch of weight. I think it was 110 pounds in total. And she kept, uh, she's kept it off for over a decade. And the question that she sort of carried around with her as she was starting her weight loss journey is, what would a healthy person do? 
And that's very much aligned or oriented with that identity piece. It's like, okay, would a healthy person take a cab or would they walk four blocks in the next meeting? Would they order a salad and chicken at lunch or would they have a hamburger and fries? And she could just kind of carry that question around with her to every context she was in and make a choice that she felt like aligned with the identity that she wanted to have rather than worrying necessarily about, you know, something specific like the number of macros she's getting or, you know, whatever. Now, I should say, I think it can work both ways. Like I count my macros and it works really well for me. Um, but uh, I think that's partially because it aligns with the identity uh, that I already have. And uh, if you aren't, if you don't have that shift in internal story yet, it's hard for the behavior to follow suit. You know, like imagine, imagine you went up to two people and you said, hey, would you like a cigarette? And the first person says, oh, no, thanks. I'm trying to quit. And the second person says, oh, no, thanks. I'm not a smoker. Now, technically, they've done the same thing. They both turned down the cigarette. But the second person kind of has signaled a shift in identity change. Like they, the first person is trying to be something they're not. No, thanks. I'm trying to quit. And the second person is saying, I'm not a smoker. Uh, it's just not something that I do. And I think once you get to that stage, that shift in identity, you're in a much more powerful place from a behavior change standpoint, because you're not even really trying to change anymore. You're just acting in alignment with the type of person you see yourself to be. So we can talk about ways to do that, but that's kind of the, the quick version on identity versus outcome. Tell me what you think the difference is in identity between the woman you gave the example of and say yourself. So you're both striving to the same objective, which is a healthy weight, but she accomplished it by focusing on what would a healthy person do in this situation. You accomplish it, again, just pertaining to nutrition at the moment, presumably by saying, you know, I, I don't know what your macro goals are, but these are, you know, these are the aspirations that I have and I'm going to stick to these. So tell me a little bit about the difference between those approaches and how can a person know which will be better for them outside of just empirically trying them both? Well, I think in this particular case, the primary difference is I had an internal story uh, or have an internal story that I am a healthy person already. And so just doing things that are aligned with that, like counting macros feels totally fine. Um, whereas for her at that early stage, she did not feel that way and did not genuinely believe that about herself. This is also, I should say, um, it's possible to have an epiphany and to change, you know, cold turkey or to just flip a switch and suddenly start acting in a different way. I, I do think it's possible. I think sometimes people have experiences like that. Um, ironically, I think uh, it rarely happens from some kind of bolts of lightning inside. I think one of the most common ways it happens is by reading books. I think people will sometimes read a book that really changes their worldview uh, and they start to do things completely differently after that. You can imagine a bunch of nutrition examples like somebody reads a book that convinces them that, you know, carbs are the devil and the grain is terrible. And all of a sudden the next day, like they want to throw out all the bread in the house and, you know, like it's very, very quick, uh, switch has been flipped. So, um, I do think it's possible. However, I don't think that changing through an epiphany, uh, is a very reliable way to change. And I don't know that it's a, it's something you can bank on or can plan around or strategize for might happen to you a couple times in your life, but I, I don't think that it's an efficient way to try to build a new habit. So if you can't change or hope to change through an epiphany, then um, what are your options if you want to change your identity? 
And I think the, the best avenue that you have is to cast votes with your actions. So in a sense, every action you take is like a vote for the type of person you wish to become. So no, doing one push-up does not radically transform your body, but it does cast a vote for, I'm the type of person who doesn't miss workouts. And no, writing one sentence may not finish the novel, but it does cast a vote for, I'm a writer. And I think this is like a meaningful difference between my approach or what I recommend and what you often hear. Like you often hear something like, fake it till you make it. And I don't necessarily have anything wrong with fake it till you make it. It's asking you to believe something positive about yourself, but it's asking you to believe something positive without having evidence for it. And we have a word for beliefs that don't have evidence. We call that delusion, right? Like at some point your brain doesn't like this mismatch between what you're saying and what you're actually doing. And so to bring it back to your question about my friend who lost all this weight, I think you have to genuinely believe that story about yourself in order for the actions to start to feel aligned. And what do you do if you don't genuinely believe you're a healthy person or don't genuinely believe that I'm the kind of person who would track my macros or whatever? Well, I think you have to start with these very small habits. You have to start by proving it to yourself in some little way. Maybe it's just that you did walk the three blocks to the meeting and didn't take the taxi. Or maybe it's just that you did order a salad for lunch and not a burger and fries. And none of those things individually are going to change your body or even the story right away. But if you keep casting votes for that behavior and keep casting votes for that identity, then eventually you get to the point where it's like the basketball example. You kind of have to admit that you're a basketball player because you've been shooting hoops for the last two years and like this is just part of who you are now. So um, I think that that's the primary difference between the two of us is that I already kind of had that story and early on she didn't. Now she does. So who knows? Maybe now she could just track her macros just as easily or even easier than I can. I don't know. Yeah, I um, wonder how that process changes in this person after 10 years. I mean, you know, m most people understand that losing weight is actually not that hard, but keeping weight off is exceptionally hard. So what your friend did, yes, losing 110 pounds is remarkable, but the fact that she's kept it off for a decade is actually what's remarkable. And I'm sure. curious as to what the temporal sequence of events is where, you know, hey, for the first year, it was a daily struggle of what would the healthy person do? What would the healthy person do? What would the healthy person do? And at some point that transitions into, I'm a healthy person, this is what I do. I'm a healthy yep. person, this is what I do. And, and, and then it becomes so autonomic that you can even slip, you can slip up for a day and it feels wrong. Like it's, it's like, oh mm -hmm. God, that cotton candy is horrible. Like I don't ever wanna yeah. eat that again. Yeah, well you said something similar to that a, a few minutes ago about how like it bothers you to not work out sometimes, you know? And Nir Eyal, who also has written about habits, has kind of a little measure for that where he's like, his measure for whether it's a habit or not is does it bother you when you don't do it? And um, I think that's a signal that it's kind of aligned with your identity. It's like, oh, I mm -hmm. kind of feel like I'm not being me if I, if I don't do this. And um, to your point about it taking a long time, it can take much longer than you would think. I mean, my friend told me she had to lose 60 pounds before the first person noticed, before she wow. ever heard anything from somebody else. Wow. And, um, you know, that's... That's a lot of, that's a lot of weight and a long time to be working in essentially what feels like a vacuum yeah. feels like you're just doing it for yourself and no external feedback from the world. So, um, you know, this comes back to a lot of the things we've already talked about, about process and falling in love with the system. And, you know, um, there are a lot of, a lot of things that go into it, but 
it definitely is an internal journey and it definitely will take longer than you would imagine in a lot of cases. And that wraps up today's show. If you like this episode and you want more content, consider subscribing to the podcast and also consider joining the newsletter to read my thoughts about today's episode. You can also join the Discord and leverage our community to stay motivated. And lastly, you can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. That's it for me today. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode.